All right, what does that say? Equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Is that pretty clear when we talk about this series in Galatians? Are we clear on that? You know, we've been going through Galatians and we hear the recurring theme. It's this slavery to the law versus freedom in Christ through the Holy Spirit. Is that pretty clear what that battle is? Um, This week, and I know for myself, I've felt myself almost... Um, step back into slavery of my own sinful desires. Has anyone else had that challenge in the last 48 hours? Feeling that conflict in your heart and your mind, spirit? Um, Well, I want to encourage you because I believe the Lord wants to continue to speak freedom. He always does, right? Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. And what we're going to see in this passage is that Jesus is all about freedom, and he's all about us communing with the spirit, stepping in the spirit, walking in step with the Spirit. He'll use uh, phrases like being led in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, follow the Spirit, be in the Spirit. Do you think that's an important thing? Freedom, walking in the Spirit. Those two things should be clear as we dive into this passage. And if we look into what Mark covered last week, does that, first off, you have your Bibles. Will you hold them up? Will you hold up your Bible, the Word of God here? And not the little pamphlet inside, but okay, good. Look at that thing. Bring it every week. It is the Word of God. It is the Word of God. It's His Word. And, and uh, it's important that we have it every week, every day. But I want to encourage you to bring it every week. If we look in chapter 5, verse 1, it is for freedom, Paul says, that Christ has set us what? Free. Starting there, it is freedom that Christ set us free. So we're not to live in slavery. Remember, the the context of this book is Paul is speaking against a group of people that are trying to get Gentile Christians back into slavery, to to acknowledge the Jewish laws. Now, remember, this is a culture that is immersed in tradition. Immersed. We think we have traditions, and we do. I don't know of any tradition in my life that is strong as some of the ones that they lived by in this time, in this culture. Okay? And so uh, it's very tempting to go back to what you know, is it not? So Paul, remember, he's saying, guys, it's about grace. It's about faith. It's about freedom in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of of the law. And he says again, he says, the only thing that counts, the only thing that counts in verse 6 of chapter 5 is faith expressing itself through what? Love. Now, those two things I want you to carry close to your chest right now as we, close to your heart as we go into this uh, verses 13 through 26, okay? We're made to be free. And the most important thing, the only thing that counts is love. Faith expressing itself through love. Now Paul says this in verse 13. You are my brothers and sisters. You were called to be what? Free. So this is the same chapter and he reestablishes the importance of freedom. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather serve one another in love. Do not do not use your freedom to indulge yourself in the sinful nature. Well, I was thinking about this, 
And I, re- I remember, I, uh, Shan and I just got married. We, were in, we moved to San Diego. We were actually, I was living out here in Winona for a time, actually. Most people don't know that. But I was actually in Winona before we moved to San Diego. We moved to San Diego. And one of the first things I wanted, because I didn't have it grown up, was like satellite cable. Right? You get all the channels. And I was an ESPN nut. And um, we, one of the first things, we, we, got a full, we got both have full-time jobs. So we can afford, like, cable in, like, five or six different ESPN channels. I don't know why you need that many. There's, like, 12, I think, or something like that, right? Um, and I felt like, like freedom. I can watch whatever I want, not just reruns of the Andy Griffith show or I Love, Love Lucy, but I can watch almost anything they have to offer. There's that sense of freedom. Does that make sense? But with that, you have to be careful, and I learned the hard way. I would come home, and instead of engage Shanna, I would engage my freedom in all the channels I wanted. And I found that it began to hurt the marriage or, or began to plant seeds that could hurt the marriage. And so the freedom that we see, we got to be careful we don't use that to indulge in our own sinful desires. And that's what Paul is saying here. Don't abuse the freedom because it's easy to do that. You can take freedom and your perception of it and create your own meaning of it of what you can do and justify your own actions. Because I would justify going, babe, if I don't watch this, I mean, then we're wasting money. <laughs> it's, my, it's my obligation to sit down and watch this. But the Lord convicted my heart, and now we don't even have kids. We don't even have basic channels. We have nothing. And, and that created an intimacy that, that we didn't have before as far as friendship in our marriage. Interesting. That was true freedom for me in that moment. But then Paul continues after that. He says, the entire law, the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. I hope you understand how big a statement that is for Paul to make. Now, remember, this is a a culture that is immersed in tradition, immersed in the law. And he's saying the only thing, the, the only thing that matters is love. And loving your neighbor as yourself sums up the entire law. So this is over 600 laws that every day you and I would have to pay attention to. Or 600 of them. A little overwhelming, right? And not only will you know when you break one, everyone else will let you know when you break one. Because they'll be throwing stones at you. That's not fun. So I hear. So for, for Paul to say all of that, that you for hundreds of years have been doing, All of that you don't have to do anymore. The only thing you have to do is love your neighbor as yourself. How do you take that? That'd be hard, wouldn't it? All this time you've been doing this, 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 all these tasks, and now you're telling me I don't have to do that anymore? It'd be tempting to go back, or it'd be tempting to, to, to go into it for the first time, too. Some of these Gentiles, not exposed to all that, and and Christian Jews are saying, you've got to obey these laws because they can't handle the fact that all they have to do is love their neighbor. That's tough. That's huge. You know, I think of all the things you have to do to get your house ready for wintertime here. Now, I, I never owned a house before. 
So, you know, I, I'm a city guy, so it was renting apartments, townhomes, this and that. And if there was a problem with the house, guess what? Hello, landlord, right? So I never knew how to do anything. I didn't, I didn't learn to do it. And so now I'm seeing, now I'm having a house and it's mine. I've got to, like, make sure it doesn't fall apart. And there are all these things, right? Who's meticulous about keeping up their house? Is anyone? That's a good thing, okay? You know, the yard, you know, making sure the, the grass is cut. I mean, I have a neighbor who is out there looking at his grass. And I actually saw him, like, laying down, cutting it with scissors to precision. Yeah, wow, was right. That was when I first got there. Can you imagine my first impression? I remember our neighbor walked on our lawn, giving us, like, the whole family with, with baked goods to welcome us in the neighborhood. And I said, Shanna, who the heck is on our lawn? Because it was just so foreign to me, right? Just the things that you do. And so imagine, you have all these things you were taught, and now Jesus comes and he says, you don't have to do any of that. You don't have to winterize your pipes. You don't have to, to water your lawn. You don't have to do any of that stuff. All you have to do is be with me. Uh, no. <laughs> right? I got to water my lawn. I got to do these things. So imagine that. Jesus comes into your culture, the things that you abide by every day that you've got to get done, whatever it may be. And he says, no, all you have to do is this. All that will be done for you if you just do this. Okay? So that is, that is huge statement for Paul to make. And then he says, after he says, love your neighbor as yourself, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Now, that's a big statement because, you know, don't, don't, let's just look in the church context. We're not saying about loving our neighbor, which we're going to get into in a little, a little bit more in a second. Um, do you find even in a church culture, church context, there's gossip? misperceptions, assumptions. And when we don't love each other and we get at each other about all these things, the people of Christ, the body of Christ, it creates division, doesn't it? It creates brokenness in a, in a body that's supposed to be representing Jesus Christ. So let's just start there. If we're the body of Christ and we are called to love our neighbor as ourself, if we can't do that in, the, in this place, we're going to have a hard time doing that as we go be a light to the world, right? So we've got to practice that in here. Now, you held up your Bibles, and I'd like you to turn to Luke 10, please. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And we're going to look at this word, neighbor, because this is important as we move on into the fruit of the Spirit. How many grew up in the church? How many have heard about the fruit of the Spirit over and over? Sunday school, right? Fruit, fruit's good, tastes good. Right? So, um, and we could probably spend a whole year on going through each one of those things, probably longer. I mean, we're going to go through a lifetime of it. Um, but we can't understand the fruit of the Spirit until we understand what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in this chat, in chapter 10 of Luke, what we have here is the Good Samaritan. Now, if you ask most people in our culture today, what does it mean, what is a Samaritan? They'll go, someone who does something good. Who's heard that? 
right? I mean, that's really today's culture. That's our definition. If you were to ask a Jew in the first century of the church, what's a Samaritan? Scum, I hate him, let's go kill them all. That's what it would be. Jews hate Samaritans. Samaritans do not like Jews. So for Jesus to use a parable, a story, where the hero is a Samaritan and he's talking to Jews, think about that. That says a lot about Jesus. But an expert of the law, what we see here is an expert of the law, comes to Jesus and challenges him. And basically asks the question, how do I inherit eternal life? That's what he says to Jesus. And this is what... Jesus says to him, what is written in the law? And how do you read it? So, this is Jesus, what he does when he's asked a question, he asks a question back and, as his answer. I think we've talked about that. that can be frustrating, you know. But he asks a question back, and the, the man says, the lawyer says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, your strength, and your spirit, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the greatest commandment. So we already see here, right, that the entire law can be summed up in this. Because just to say, because when Paul says, love your neighbor as yourself, that's already, it's already assumed that it comes out of a love relationship of God, because that's one commandment, okay? And the people he's talking to know that. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. That's one commandment, okay? Does that make sense? So that's what we see here. But then... The guy keeps poking and prodding at Jesus and says, then who's my neighbor? And then we have the story. We have this story where their enemy is used as the hero. And what we see is three people that are walking by a man who's been beaten almost to the point of death, two of which know the law, two of which should be representations of God, who walk past him. They see him, but they don't engage him. Then you have the Samaritan, the mortal enemy, the scum of the earth, because he's a half-blood. He's half-Jewish and half-something else. And so Jews don't like that. They're all about pure blood. Okay? And so here comes the Samaritan who not only sees the man, but he engages the man. Now that's important because when we're talking about loving our neighbor, we can't just see the need or see the person and say, I see you. If you don't engage the need or engage the person, what's the point of seeing them? So we see that this Samaritan goes after this guy, and this is what it means. When when we talk about neighbor in the Greek, that actually literally means the person next to you, proximity-wise. Physical proximity. The person right next to you in that time, in that moment, is the one you are called to love. Now what we see with the Samaritan is that he gives this man full access to all of his resources, time and money, reputation. Because it's, um, many scholars think this guy that was beaten was probably a Jew going down to the temple to worship. So the Samaritan saw a man in need, not a Jew in need, a man in need. And he gave him full access. So when we say, okay, what does it mean to love? We see that God is telling us that when we, need, when we love our neighbor, we are, we are giving them full and complete access to all of our resources. Does that make sense? Because does God say you have access to some of me or all of me? All. And if Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing, and we're followers of Jesus, and we only do what we see 
Jesus doing? And he, he's giving full access to himself, all his resources, for the sake of love, then what should we be doing? The same. Giving them full access. Now, I am not saying like, hey, Mark, I'm going to give you full access to all my resources. Here's my checkbook. Go nuts. That's not what I'm saying. There's wisdom in that. There's discernment in that, right? Because giving them certain things of your resources isn't exactly what they need. So you've got to discern that. Okay? But loving your neighbor really means giving, them, giving the person next to you full access to all your resources, your heart, anything that they need. This Samaritan, not only, he gave enough money for this man to stay and recover for two months. Most people don't know that. Two months and was going to return. And it wasn't a matter of if he was going to return. He was going to return. And then he was going to pay anything extra that it cost to take care of this guy. That's full access. Now, jumping back to Galatians. Are we clear on that? What it means to love your neighbor? And what a neighbor is, who the neighbor is. Now we're getting to the real good stuff. It's all good. This is, is meaty here. So I say, Paul says, live by the Spirit. There's that phrase, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you were led, there's that phrase again, by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, many of us have lived under the notion that God is a micromanager. And we heard some of this, those of us that went to the men's retreat, we heard that it put this way. But some of us believe everything that happens is God's doing one way or another. That he allows it or this or that. And I used to think that way too. But we see here clearly that there's more than just God's will at work in the world. God can only be limited by himself, okay, so that we can have free will, right? He could probably make us love him, but he doesn't do that. He gives us a will of our own so that we learn to come in alignment with his will, and it's about want and desire for him. Does that make sense? So we see constantly that there's our will and God's will, the enemy's will, and they're in conflict with one another because they all have desires of their own. And this is what Paul is saying, that there's always going to be this conflict. But when you walk in the Spirit and you allow yourself to be led by the Spirit, then you begin to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Now, Paul, he's brilliant here because he lays out exactly what the sinful desires look like, right? The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, he says, Obvious. That's a, that's a big word. Shouldn't be a secret to you. You know what's not right. You know what's not of God, right? I mean, how many of you done something you knew wasn't right and you tried to justify it, right? But you know. And then you feel like an idiot for even trying to explain yourself away to someone because it's so obvious. And so Paul lays it out. He says, the drunkenness, the dissensions, the jealousies, fits of rage, selfish ambition, yada, yada, yada. But then he says something very poignant that's kind of scary. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, when you hear that, 
Is anyone frightened by that? Because you know the decisions you make, right? We know that we still sin, okay? Well, we have forgiveness of sin, and, and if we live a life of repentance, we know that we're going we're gonna to stumble, okay? Paul's not talking about the person that just stumbles every now and then, but the person that has said, God, I don't want you. I want what I want, and this is what I want. And Paul's addressing those people that are rejecting God. And he says, if you live for your desires... If you go by what you want, you will not inherit the kingdom of God because God is not going to force himself on you. He wants you to want him. You know that song, I want you to want me? That's God's song to us. He wants us to want him. He's not going to force himself. So he says, if you don't want a part, you don't want to be a part of me, then the kingdom of God is not for you. I mean, that's, that makes sense, doesn't it? And Paul uses it as a warning because... And it's a warning because he understands how enticing the sinful desires can be. And they are, aren't they? Extremely seductive. And he gives this warning because he knows that. He knows that. And one of the best words in Scripture, and he says, because he knows that, but. That's a great word. And it's all over Scripture. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Without looking, you think guys, you do it? We've, we've heard it, we read it. I had to do this in a Sunday school all the time, so I'm going to make everyone here do it. Mark, do you want to lead us off? You did, a good job. you did a good job. But the fruit of the Spirit is what, Mark? Love, you guys join me. <laughs> Love, joy, peace, patience, <laughs> goodness. Faithfulness, gentleness. <laughs> And self-control. It's what a seminary education will get you. Babbling through the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> I'm just kidding. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, guidance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there are no law. There's no law against it because it's all good. And here's the deal. For some reason, we think we can manufacture these things without the Spirit. Have you tried doing that before? Have you tried being patient <laughs> without walking in the Spirit? Have you tried to be joyful in the midst of sorrow without the Spirit? Have you tried to be kind to annoying people <laughs> and succeed without the leading of the Holy Spirit? Probably not. And this gets us to our point, is that when we walk in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is a byproduct. It's going to happen without us trying to do it. It's a, it. It just flows out of us because of our love relationship with God. There's a reason why Jesus says, abide in me, remain in me. It's the most, really, it's one of the most intimate words you can use. Abide, a oneness. Abide in me and I in you and you will bear great what? Fruit. But you cannot, and he says, Without me, you can do what? Nothing. Well, you think we learned from that. But Paul reminds us, if we don't walk in the Spirit, we're not going to produce the good fruit of the Spirit because we can't. We cannot manufacture what only the Spirit can do. Let's stop trying to do that. At the men's retreat, um, we had uh, the, the dean of Master's Institute where I attended my seminary education. His name is Kevin McClure, and he was speaking to this. And 
um, he, was, he was saying some similar things. And, and one of the things that stood out to me is when we know that what our most important thing in life should be is knowing and loving the Father. That Right? I mean, that because everything comes out of him and through him. But yet, I go and I try to be patient without him. I go and try and do this without him. I go and try to focus. I'm going to be a good dad, and I'm going to work really hard at being a good dad. I'm going to work really hard at being a good husband, but without spending time with God. How's that going to happen? It's not. But the more intimate I am with the Father, the more those things are going to be a byproduct of my intimacy with God. Does that make sense? We spend all this time in churches and in ministries to do the task rather than spending time abiding in Jesus and allowing him to do the task in us and through us. We spend way much, way too much time. And he closes, he closes this passage out by saying, be in step with the Spirit. Be in step with me. Because when you're in step with me, you're not going to have to focus on all these things as tasks. Those will take care of them ex- themselves because you'll be, you'll, you'll, you're just going to overflow my spirit and the fruit I want to bring. But I started thinking about being in step with him. What, is, what does that mean? How do we identify that? And it doesn't just happen. How many have been Christians for 10 years or longer? Okay. You got to figure it out. 20 years or longer, raise your hand. You got to figure it out? No, 30 years, 40 years? Who's got 50 years or more? Yeah, do you have it figured out? No, it takes practice to be in step with the Spirit. God equips us with tools and gifts to help us see how we do that. And I was, I was flirting with not outing myself this service like I did the last one, but I'm gonna. One of the things that that taught me about this was literally dancing itself. Who's ever danced in your life, like, like uh, partnering or ballroom, anything like that? Okay, when I was in college, I was a Bible major. And at the time, you know, I was doing Bible because I'm going to be a pastor. It wasn't something like, you know, I was real passionate about as far as, like, study. I like doing it in my private time and all that. At that moment, I thought, what will help me survive college being a Bible major, which is lots of reading and writing. I know I'll be a dance minor. Why not? It's uncomfortable. I'll probably be one of the few guys in there. And I had a girlfriend at the time, so that doesn't help. And so I, I enrolled, and I literally was one of two guys out of 40, 40 people. So they were all females. And spent four years really experiencing freedom and learning how to dance and, and all that and whatever. But one of the things I got really into was swing dance. Has anyone ever done that? Really fun. For macho men, it seems like the only dance you can get away without getting teased, right? Because you get to throw ladies in the air, and, yeah, you know, all that stuff. So I got hooked on it. We had a club on campus, and I got hooked. And I probably looked terrible doing it, probably still do. But I had to practice hard, and I had the same partner for four years, and we worked hard because we were passionate about it. We loved it. Sometimes we looked really bad because we put on performances for the schools. And sometimes, man, woof, didn't look good in the beginning. And then it began to look better because we learned. I learned how to lead. She learned how to follow. And we learned that dance between each other, what that looks like, right? Marriage is like that too, isn't it? And so we learned to be in step with one another. But it wasn't without some missteps. 
and it looked goofy and funky. I tried ballet once, and that was horrible. They got that on tape. <laughs> I, hope, I hope it's destroyed. I don't know where it is. But do you get my point? It takes practice. So if we walk away from this morning, we go, man, I got this down. I'm going to do it. Boom, boom. I love the enthusiasm. But remember, it's going to take time to learn that with the Spirit. It is. Because His ways are not our ways. And you're always going to have that, the conflicting desires, the conflicting wills at each other, but it's about surrendering and submitting to His. And that takes practice. It takes time. I was, you know, I try so hard sometimes, you know, to, to do things myself because I'm like, God's got a lot to do. That's really dumb, immature. <laughs> Has anyone ever done that? Like, I'm going to do it myself, you know. Okay. And even when I know I shouldn't be doing that, whatever. So I, I learned a great lesson yesterday from Mark's son, John. He helped me come over, he came over to my house and helped me stain my deck. So my deck was a wreck. I mean, as far as paint chipping off and all this stuff. So, <clears throat> I don't even know what you call them because I'm so foreign to all this. What is it, paint chippers or scraper or whatever, you know? And, and John, he knows this stuff. I mean, this is his thing. And he's like, you do it like this. And, and then I'm kind of prideful. I'm like, I'm going to do it myself. I don't need your help, right? So I take that thing and I'm starting going like this. And I'm like, and nothing's coming off, just wood chips. And I'm like, well, I have a hole in my deck now. That's not good. And he said to me, he goes, because Brendan, stop. He's like, you need to let the tool do the work. And that, we've probably heard that phrase before, right? And it's really elementary. It's very simple. But once I just let the tool do it, wow, it looked good. And I still had deck left, you know? It wasn't <laughs> torn to pieces. Can you see where the Lord is, is telling us, let me do it? Let me do it. Be with me. Abide in me. And let me do it. And you will see something you've never seen before. Let me do it. See, I don't know why. I have no idea why we think God has to be complicated. Maybe it's because he's so big and powerful. And, and maybe it's because where, you know, the word of God is written in a time where it's, it's hard to understand, you know, the culture and the context. And I get that. But learning how to read Scripture all through it, the law is complicated to me. I look at that thing, and I'm going, man, I'd be done. right? Stoned to death, first day. Probably wouldn't make it till noon. Okay? And, and God simply says, no. There was a time for the law. It's time for freedom in Christ Jesus. It's very simple. Abide in me, and I in you, and you will bear good fruit. Love me, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's it. You do that, you fulfill the law. Well, I can do that. I mean, are you, you know, we may come on Sundays going, I need this really big answer to a complex problem, but it's really simple. If we want to see God move, then be available for him to move. Abide in him and in you, you, and that's all you got to do. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that means what? Giving the person next to you full access to your resources, who you are. Not without wisdom and discernment, but not rejecting them. Giving them full access. Now, can you imagine if we do that as a, 
as Bridgewood Community Church. If we do that within these walls with one another, we learn to love each other, gossip's going to go down, misperception's going to go down, because we no longer become afraid to um, confront one another in love and respect, to talk to one another, to hear one another. Because if we can't learn to do it here, we're going to have a hard time doing it out there. And we've got to walk and step in the Spirit, not just individually, but as a church, as a congregation, and learn that dance. And it's going to be challenging. There will be some missteps. We will look pretty funky sometimes, like we don't know what we're doing. But we are going to continue to learn because we want to know God more and get lost in his love and his grace. That will be tremendous, wouldn't it? Because we say, we've been saying this, we want to be a discipleship culture, but you've got to understand, when we say discipleship, it sounds like task, doesn't it? Who thinks that when you're, go make disciples, that, that word make sounds like task-oriented. But that's because oftentimes what we do, and I, and I heard this phrase over the weekend, I love it, is because we divorce discipleship with our inheritance as God's children. We divorce discipleship. We separate the two. When discipleship is simply loving your neighbor as yourself and equipping them to to know God better. And it comes not as a task, not through a task, but through a love relationship of Jesus. It's an outpouring. It's a byproduct. The title of today's, today's sermon was a radical, the radical byproduct or something like that, right? Radical in Greek means the root. Going back to the root. And the root of it is love. That's what it is. So if that's the root, the radical byproduct is love. Now that sounds very hippie-ish. It sounds very generic. But after what we've just went through with the Samaritan, after we went through what it means to truly love, it's not easy. How many like being vulnerable all the time? Stinks. It's not easy. Because we got everything against us, but we have the one that counts who's for us. And so we have to constantly remind each other to our left and to our right that we love them. We have to give full access to our resources to one another in this place and beyond so that we can actually look like a discipleship culture that isn't all about task, but we're about being in Christ and watch the doing coming out of that being. Then you'll see real transformation. It's nothing manufactured by us. It's all the Spirit. It's all Him all the time. That's what I want so badly in my life. And that's what I want so badly for this congregation. It's for us to understand that it's about him all the time. And when we walk in him, when we move in him, we're going to see him bear fruit we didn't know exist. And I love that. You with me? Okay. It's a powerful book, is it not? Let's pray. Lord, we, we, um, we come before you right now. A lot of us are here. We're, we are carrying a lot of garbage. We're carrying a lot of hurts. We're carrying a lot of wounds. Shame, maybe. Whatever it is. But you came specifically to free us from those things. And so, may we receive that freedom. Learn to move and walk in that freedom. 
Lord, we want you to have your way with us. We want to be the church you have called us to be. I don't want to look like the churches around us. I want to look like the church that you called us to be. To love the person next to me with all that I am, with all that I have. To be fully accessible and available because we love you. So I pray, Lord, that as we learn this dance with you, that you would continue to be patient with us. We'll make mistakes, but Lord, we're never going to stop. We're never going to stop pursuing you. Never. So Lord, continue to lead us, and may we continue to have the courage to follow. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. We pray that you would bless the tithes and offerings this morning, that what we would bring to you, whatever it may be, would come out of a heart of thanksgiving and knowing that all we have is yours. If we love you, then we have to give you full access to all our resources because you're the provider. It's yours. You gave it to us. So we we ask that you would bless the offering, that you would take it beyond these walls and you would seed it into your kingdom, in our community and in the world, for your glory, so people may know that they are free indeed in Christ Jesus and may learn to walk in your ways so that you can bear fruit and so that the kingdom of God continues to expand its territory in this world. And we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.